Welcome, welcome. Um, this morning, as you can see, we have a, a it's a very simple message that I am going to hammer <laughs> through a number of different scriptures, but I guarantee you by the end of the message, you will not miss the point that don't worry, God can get your attention if he wants to. All right, so it's that simple. That's if, if you feel like you already know that, you can leave. Like, you're good. You don't need to hear it. You really don't, All right? But um, do, you ever, do you ever feel like you're going to miss it? Do you ever feel like um, you're going to miss what God's doing or what he has for you? Um, or you're going to miss the call or purpose on your life? Like, like the, your destiny or what he has for your future. Um, the truth is this, that God created you whether you believe it or not, right? So that's truth, that God created you, whether you have a relationship with him yet or not. He created you, um, and he knows you. He knows you better than you know yourself. He knows um, how to get your attention. He also knows how you hear the best, right? We Each of us, we hear differently. Like, we can say all of us have ears we hear if we are not deaf, right? But, but, um, but God gets our attention in different ways. He speaks to us differently because he knows how each of us was created to hear the best. And he also has such a heart's desire because he loves each of us, right, so much. He has a heart's desire for you not to miss what he has for you. So he goes above and beyond to get your attention in a way that only you could really hear it. Does that make sense? So we're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna look at this a little bit. I'm gonna go through a lot of scripture today. So just, they're all familiar scriptures if you've been walking with the Lord for a while. If you haven't, it's okay. The references will be up there. Um, the first is we're just gonna look at individuals who they needed to hear something from God. And he got their attention. Okay? So the first is Moses. And if you have your Bibles and you wanna turn there, you can turn to Exodus chapter three. And we're gonna start in verse one. It says, now Moses was pasturing the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. He left the flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the midst of a bush. And he looked and behold, the bush was burning with fire, yet the bush was not consumed. So Moses said, I must turn aside now and see this marvelous sight. Why the bush is not burned up? And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near here. Remove your sandals from your feet for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. He said also, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. Then Moses hid his face for he was afraid to look at God. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have given heed to their cry because of their taskmasters, for I am aware of their sufferings. So I have come down to deliver them from the power of the Egyptians and to bring them up from that land to a good and spacious land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanite and the Hittite and the Amorite and the Perizzite and the Hivite and the Jebusite. Now behold, the cry of the sons of Israel has come to me. Furthermore, I have seen the oppression with which the Egyptians are oppressing them. Therefore, come now and I will send you 
to Pharaoh, so that you may bring my people, the sons of Israel, out of Egypt. And so if you know the story of Moses, you know that Moses was born in Egypt. And he felt a call at one point in his life, he felt a call that he was supposed to rescue the Israelites, the Jewish people, from the Egyptians. In the process of trying to fight for justice one day, he ends up killing an Egyptian. And when he finds out that that was found out by the Egyptians, then he runs for his life and he ends up in a land called Midian. He marries and becomes a shepherd. It's sort of like he thought I was headed this way. And then because of an action now, he finds himself way over here in the desert in a place that he never thought he would ever be. And he has a life that has been created. Um, God gets Moses' attention through a burning bush that isn't consumed. It wouldn't be anything noteworthy for a bush to catch on fire in the desert. That happens all the time because of the intense heat. But for a a bush to catch on fire and not be consumed, that caught Moses' attention. Um, In the process of stepping in or pressing in further, God shares with Moses that the call on his life is still alive. He didn't miss it right? The call on his life is alive and that the time is now. It wasn't when he thought it was. That makes sense? God got Moses' attention and Moses didn't miss it. Let's turn to Judges chapter 6 and look at Gideon. Starting in verse 11, Judges 6, it says, Then the angel of the Lord came and sat under the oak that was in Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abirazite, And his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the wine press in order to save it from the Midianites. The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O valiant warrior. Then Gideon said to him, O my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? And where are all his miracles which our fathers told us about, saying, Did not the Lord bring us out from Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. The Lord looked at him and said, Go, in this your strength, and deliver Israel from the hand of Midian. Have I not sent you? And he said to him, O Lord, how shall I deliver Israel? Behold, my family is the least in Manasseh. I am the youngest in my father's house. But the Lord said to him, Surely I will be with you, and you shall defeat Midian as one man. So Gideon said to him, If now I have found favor in your sight, Then show me a sign that it is you who speak with me. Please do not depart from here until I come back to you and bring out my offering and lay it before you. And he said, I will remain until you return. Then Gideon went in, prepared a young goat and unleavened bread from an ephah of flour, put the meat in a basket and the broth in a pot and brought them out to him under the oak and presented them. The angel of God said to him, take the meat and the unleavened bread, lay them on this rock and pour out the broth. And he did so. Then the angel of the Lord put out the end of the staff that was in his hand, touched the meat and the unleavened bread and fire sprang up from the rock and consumed the meat and the unleavened bread. Then the angel of the Lord vanished from his sight. When Gideon saw that he was the angel of the Lord, he said, alas, O Lord God, For now I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. And the Lord said to him, Peace to you. Do not fear. You shall not die. Then Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and named it, The Lord is Peace. And to this day, it's still in Ophrah, 
of the Abirazites. So Gideon, he's an Israelite, right? You're fast-forwarding, right? They had already gone into the promised land. He's in the being under oppression by the Midianites, right? Isn't that interesting? The same people that Moses had gone and lived with is the same people that now is oppressing the Israelites. It's interesting to me. Gideon's trying to survive, and he's trying to hold on to this meager provision. That's why he's, um, he has his grain in a wine press, right? He's hiding to try to see, can I just save this little bit that I have left? And God gets Gideon's attention by calling him an identity statement, valiant warrior, that Gideon thinks is the most ridiculous thing that he has ever heard in his life. Gideon says, what are you talking about? Look at my circumstances. Look at my life. Where has God been? You call me valiant warrior. Where is God? And the angel of the Lord tells Gideon the key. He says, God is with you. And God is on your side, Gideon. And the Midianites don't stand a chance with you and God. Gideon, you don't know who you are, but God does. Do you ever feel like you don't know who you are? God knows you because he created you. He didn't make a mistake. Sometimes we think God made a mistake because we don't like what we see or we don't like, we don't understand the fullness of who we are. But God didn't make a mistake with any single person that's hearing the sound of my voice. He didn't. And so Gideon asked for the first of many signs. If you know the story of Gideon, he likes to, he needs a sign, which I love that God says, that's okay, right? And so um, he says, the, the first thing he does is, he says, let me go make an offering. I'm going to bring it back. The angel of the Lord taps it with his staff and fire comes out and consumes the offering. And then Gideon believes. And the truth for us today is God got Gideon's attention and Gideon didn't miss it. Let's fast forward New Testament to Luke chapter 1, Zacharias. Luke 1, verse 5. It says, In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zacharias of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. They were both righteous in the sight of God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and requirements of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren. And they were both advanced in years. Now it happened that while he was performing his priestly service before God in the appointed order of his division, according to the custom of the priestly office, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were in prayer outside at the hour of the incense offering. And an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing to the right of the altar of incense. Zacharias was troubled when he saw the angel. And fear gripped him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your petition has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you will give him the name John. You will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and he will drink no wine or liquor, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit while yet in his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the sons of Israel back to the Lord their God. It is he who will go as a forerunner before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children and the disobedient to the attitude of the righteous 
so as to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah said to the angel, How will I know this for certain? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered and said to him, I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you shall be silent and unable to speak until the day when these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their proper time. I love it. So Zechariah, he's just doing his job. He's a priest. And part of the jobs of the priests at a certain point in time, it's their, their um, selected time to go into the temple and perform the priestly duties. And so his number comes up. And while he's inside the temple, the um, angel Gabriel shows up. And it says, Zacharias, your prayers have been answered. Your prayers have been heard. You and Elizabeth are going to have a baby. That's great news, right? And yet, um, the reality is if you look at Zacharias and Elizabeth, when do you think the last time he prayed that prayer? Do you ever feel like your prayers don't get answered? Really, oh, this is serious, right? Because the reality is, if it, he, how he responds to the angel is like, are you kidding me? Like, I'm really old, and if you've seen Elizabeth lately, you know she's really old. And it's like, we prayed those prayers years ago, right? It's impossible what you're describing. And yet the reality is Gabriel says nothing's impossible with God, right? He says, you're going to be the father of an amazing son who will accomplish amazing things. And I think I love Zacharias because we often use the phrase full of faith. I think he's just full of reason, right? Because the reality is he looks at his body. He thinks about his wife and he says, this is no way. And I, I can't like fault him, right? Because anybody of us in the same situation you would say the same thing, I think. Um, Gabriel responds basically and says, you don't know who you're talking to. I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of the Lord, right? Like, that's who I am. And I've been sent to tell you this good news, and your response makes it sound like it's not really good news. And yet it is. So you get the joy of being silent. For like nine months, you're silent. And because um, you didn't believe my words which will be fulfilled in their proper time. The reality is God got Zacharias' attention, and he didn't miss it. And we know John the Baptist was born, and he's an amazing prophet, the last prophet in the, in the end of the Old Testament, beginning of New Testament, and just an amazing one, right? Luke chapter 1, verse 26, let's look at Mary. It says, now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God. He was busy at this time was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth, to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph, of the descendants of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, he said to her, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was very perplexed at this statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation that was. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. And Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. 
and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, and for that reason the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. And behold, even your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age, and she who was called barren is now in her sixth month, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, the bond slave of the Lord, may it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. So Mary's betrothed to Joseph, probably one of the most exciting times of her life, um, when Gabriel shows up. And he comes in and, and he enters. She's scared. I, I'm curious what Gabriel looked like because both um, Zacharias and Mary were scared of him, right? But the reality is, he says, Don't worry, you don't have to be afraid. He says, you're highly favored, and then he goes on to explain about this miraculous conception that's going to happen, that she's the one chosen woman of Israel, of all women of Israel for all time, and she's favored to walk through this walk. Um, And Mary doesn't understand how it could be possible, but Gabriel just assures Mary and says, with God, all things are possible. You don't have to know how it's going to work. Right? I can tell you that the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you. The Lord's going to overshadow you. That means nothing to her, probably, right? It means nothing to me as I read it. What is that like? The reality is that she ends up having a baby named Jesus, the Savior of the world, who's amazing. And Mary, ultimately, she says, yes, be it done unto me as you have described. Right? God got Mary's attention in a significant way. And Mary didn't miss it. What about the shepherds in Luke chapter 2? Verse 8, it says, In the same region there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which shall be for all the people. For today in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. And when the angels had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds began saying to one another, Let us go straight to Bethlehem then, and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. So they came in a hurry, found their way to Mary and Joseph, and the baby as he lay in the manger. And when they had seen this, they made known their statement, um, which had been told to them about this child. And all who heard it wondered at the things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. The shepherds went back, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen, just as had been told them. So they're just in the middle of another night of work, right? If you're a shepherd, your job is to protect and care for the sheep. Um, And the angel of the Lord shows up with this supposed good news of great joy, and the Savior of the world has been born. What you've been waiting for, all the Israelites have been waiting for the Savior. Go see the baby in a manger in Bethlehem. And the shepherds go. They find Jesus just like the angel described. And they return home glorifying and praising God. The reality is God got the shepherds' attention. And they didn't miss it. The Magi, Matthew 2, verse 1, it says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, 
In the days of Herod the king, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. God got the Magi's attention with a star in the sky, and the Magi didn't miss it. Jump ahead to Luke chapter 5 and look at Peter. Verse 1, it says, Now it happened that while the crowd was pressing around him and listening to the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. He saw two boats lying at the edge of the lake, but the fishermen had gotten out of them and were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little way from the land. He sat down and began teaching the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Simon answered and said, Master, we, we've worked all hard all night and caught nothing, but I will do as you say and let down the nets. When they had done this, they enclosed a great quantity of fish and their nets began to break. So they signaled to their partners in the other boats for them to come and help them. They came and filled both of the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw that, he fell down at Jesus' feet saying, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. For amazement had seized him and all his companions because of the catch of fish which they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not fear, for now on you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. God got Peter's attention with a massive catch of fish, and he didn't miss it. Last scripture, Saul, Acts 9. It says, now Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest. He asked for letters from him to the synagogues at Damascus so that he found, if he found any belonging to the way, both men and women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. As he was traveling, it happened that he was approaching Damascus. Suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But get up and enter the city, and it will be told to you what you must do. The men who traveled with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul got up from the ground, and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. And leading him by the hand, they brought him into Damascus. So God got Saul's attention with an unusual blinding encounter. And Saul didn't miss it. What's the point? Can God get your attention if he wants to? Yeah. God can get your attention at work. Moses, Zacharias, the shepherds, and Peter were all at work. And God can get your attention at home. Because Gideon, Mary, and the Magi were all at home. God can even get your attention while you're traveling. Because Saul was traveling. Um. God can get your attention when nothing significant seems to be going on in your life. I put Moses, Zacharias, the shepherds, and the magi in that category because it seems like they were just doing life. God can get your attention when you're overwhelmed and scared. Gideon. And God can get your attention when you're overjoyed and celebrating life. Mary. God can get your attention when you're tired. Peter. And God can get your attention when you are angry and on a mission. Saul. 
Thinking about this made me think of my own story and how God got, God got my attention. And um, I grew up in the Catholic Church and loved it. And my parents and family are still strongly connected there. And, um, but the reality is I didn't have a relationship with Jesus. So I, I had a reverence for God, but I didn't have a relationship with Jesus. And I remember I was about 15 years old, and I was in a bookstore. And um, I was just looking. For some reason, I was drawn in this bookstore. And I was, I was looking at these books, and I saw this book called The Cross and the Switchblade. Never heard about it before. Nobody had ever talked to me about it. It was sitting on the shelf, and something drew me to that book where I just felt like in my sense. Again, I didn't have a relationship with the Holy Spirit or a concept that God could talk with me. Um, but there was something in, inside of me that said, that book's for you. There's something in that book for you. So I bought it, and I read it, and it changed my life. And if you don't know the cross and the switchblade, it's a story about a pastor who ends up going into the inner city and working with gang kids, and his whole life has changed. And the whole story, his whole story is all based on hearing the voice of the Holy Spirit and guiding all of his steps. And so I didn't know where to put that in my frame of life, right? Nobody was talking to me about Holy Spirit, so I just sort of tucked it away inside of me. Then when I was 17, after I graduated from high school, I had a desire to go on this student exchange program to Russia at the time, USSR. And um, while I was on that trip, I met a young lady who was from San Francisco who had a, was from a Protestant background, and she knew the concept of having a personal relationship with Jesus. And so she just shared that idea with me and said, have you ever considered accepting Jesus as your Savior and Lord? And I was like, I don't even know what you're talking about, right? I grew up in the Catholic Church. I'm saved, right, like that. And she said, well, no, there's more. You, have a, you, you sort of have a connection with God, but there's more of having a deeper intimacy that Jesus would have for you. And she just shared that with me. I didn't accept him in Russia, but I took that with me back to college. I started going to college at St. Mary's. And over the course of the next two years, God just took me on a journey of trying to explore who he is, who I am, what's life really all about. And, and at the end of that sort of process for two years, I ended up interviewing or meeting with a priest for like six weeks to try to figure out what's the difference between the Catholic Church and the Protestant Church, the Orthodox Church, all this stuff. And um, at the end of the day, the only thing that sort of surfaced to the top was this sense of having a personal relationship with Jesus. And so in my dorm room on my own when I was 20, I accepted Jesus as my Savior and Lord. And it changed my whole life. But soon after... I started talking to people who were from a Protestant background because they used that language of having a personal relationship with Jesus. And they introduced me to the idea of having what's called a quiet time or just spending time with God, talking to him, listening to him, that kind of thing. And in one of my quiet times with the Lord, I felt like I heard him say, not audibly, but in my spirit, Sonoma State. And I was like, Sonoma State? Like, my uncle lives in Pengrove. I don't know anything about Sonoma State. But why are you bringing that up? As I kept pressing in over the next few weeks, I felt like the Lord said, you're supposed to go to Sonoma State. I'm like, God, that's stupid. Like, I'm, a, I'm at St. Mary's. It's a prestigious college, and I'm doing well. Why should I go to Sonoma State? There's nothing good there, right? And it just got stronger. It got stronger when I was meeting with him. And so finally, like Gideon, I put a fleece out to him. I said, if you really want me to go to Sonoma State, 
to transfer, right? Everything I was doing in my life was not so um, acceptable by my parents, right? Because they felt like I had sort of rejected the Catholic faith, which I hadn't really, but it felt like that. And then if I were to leave St. Mary's, there was a lot of family tradition at St. Mary's. That would be another sort of slap in the face. And so it was, it was, it's going to cost me something. And so I said, God, if you really want me to go to Sonoma State, you got to give me a sign. you got to give me a sign somehow that I know without a shadow of a doubt that's what you're saying to do. And I remember, um, I don't know the day, but I was driving to my parents' house, and I ended up behind a truck. I don't even know the make of the truck, but the, it said in the, on the big tailgate, um, they used to do this, it says Sonoma. And I'm following this truck, and then all of a sudden I realized Sonoma. And then it hit me, and I felt like God said, that's your sign. And so I took by faith. Lisa says we got to do everything by faith. And so I said, I'm going to go to Sonoma State. And so I ended up going to Sonoma State. I got involved with InterVarsity. I ended up working with InterVarsity after I graduated. InterVarsity is a college ministry or college student ministry. Um, Getting connected at Sonoma State, I found Christian believers that I could do life with in a way that I had never done that before in my entire life. And so um, then I met Lisa and we ended up getting married. We started attending this church in 2000 or 2001. And um, the rest of the story is where it's got me today. But the reality is, along that way, I had to make a bunch of different choices. But it all goes way back to that cross and the switchblade. Because something, he got my attention. That there's, there's a, a Holy Spirit. There's, there's, God wants to speak to us. And we could actually hear his voice. He could actually guide my steps. And he will lead me to places that I didn't think I wanted to go because he knows there's something better there for me than I could ever think or imagine. When I look back at my life today, I'm the happiest person in the world. I have a beautiful wife. I have four amazing boys. I, have, I get to lead a congregation of people who are on fire to, to radically transform the world as we know it with the kingdom. It, it's phenomenal. And I get paid for it, right? It's crazy. And yet... Um, The truth is God created me. He knows me, and he knows how to get my attention if he wants to, right? He doesn't just get our attention one time. You could listen to my message this morning. You say, okay, he got Moses' attention once. He got Gideon's attention. No, it's all along the journey. He knows how to get your attention. If you're headed in a direction that you probably shouldn't be heading, he knows how to get your attention. He's not worried about you. He's not worried that you're going to miss it because he knows the best way that you hear. He can get your attention. Um, what's your story? Everybody in this room, everybody listening on the pot, you have a story. You have a God story. You may not have a relationship with Jesus yet. I didn't have it when I picked that book off the bookshelf. But he, he used that as a stepping stone to take me to a place where I could have a relationship with him, where I could see the destiny that was on my life and the purpose and the call. Right? Um, God knows you. He knows me. He knows how to get our attention. He knows how you hear, and he loves you. He loves you. He's for you. You may be facing things right now where if you just look at it in the face, you say, I don't know how God can be good if I'm facing this. But that's not the truth. It feels like the truth. But the truth is God is for you. And just like with Mary and Elizabeth, 
He's the God of the impossible. So even if it looks hopeless as you're facing that thing, it's not hopeless because you have a connection, whether it's like distant or close, right? Based on where you're at with him today, you have a connection with the God of the universe who has power over every single thing. And so nothing's impossible with him. He's the God that loves you and is for you. And the truth today is if he wants to get your attention, he will. And you won't miss it. You won't miss it. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for your goodness and your faithfulness. I thank you for um, just the message of hope that you bring in the truth of salvation that flows through you. That you're the God who saves. You're the God who rescues. You're the God who directs and guides us. And you're the God who knows us better than we could ever know ourselves. And you have a purpose and a destiny and a call on every single person who hears the sound of my voice. There are specific things that you've set up way long ago in their path for them to walk into. Lives that are going to be transformed in ways that they're going to be shaped. And, um, and um, their eyes are going to be open more to the truth of their identity. And we just celebrate that's who you are. And we thank you, Lord, that um, through all these examples, that there's, there's nothing that's greater than um, you <laughs> and your ability to get our attention if you want to. And you can use whatever. And so you see the, the variety of, of individuals that we talked about today, and you know you, you didn't reach out to them, any of them, the same way. You used a different way to get each of their attention. It's the same today. You know how to get our attention. And Lord, I pray that we would leave here this morning with a solid assurance that we won't miss it. We won't miss what you're doing. We won't miss what you're saying. We won't miss how you're leading because you're the one who ensures that we, we won't. Because you care about us seeing and hearing and receiving all that you have for us more than we could ever imagine caring about those things. And so we trust you afresh today. Yeah. And we ask that you would seal this word and you would utilize it to glorify your name both here in Sonoma County and all the way to the farthest recesses of the earth. Yeah, be glorified in Jesus' precious name. Amen.